Job chapter 4. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand and one of the ushers or elders will bring you a Bible. Anyone need the Word of God here tonight? Need a Bible? We're good. We're good right now. Okay. Um, last we left off in, in, in chapter 3, um, if you remember in the book of Job, a customary of the culture of that time, when his friends come to see him, and the three of them do, they're list- they look at Job and they just really begin to weep. Right, because they, they just the, the sight of Job. I mean, this man that would have was one of the most wealthy, one of the most uh, put together men, family, beautiful children, uh, everything that a person could have wanted on this earth uh, was in the picture of Job. And his friends come to see him, and now when they see him, they, they don't recognize him. He's literally broken out with boils, head to toe, can't get any type of peace. He literally goes to the garbage dump because there's ash there, and he grabs a piece of clay that's broken and just started using that because the sores are just oozing. I, I, I'm sorry, some of you are like, oh, I'm just wrecked. But, but you need to know that's what we're talking about. It's a real man. This happened. And, and he's just literally using the, cl- the, the pottery to itch that and then even grabbing ash. Ash, hoping to use ash kind of like uh, something to soothe it because his skin is just on fire. And he, there is no, and, and uh, you know, septic that we understand today. There is, there is no um, anesthesia to take the pain away, Motrin, Tylenol, something to, to numb this. He, he's on full on uh, just pain and his skin is on fire. And, and it's to the point we read that it's, it's, it's inch from death. And this is all because Satan came up and basically made the accusation to God. No one could ever love you, God, for you. No, no one could ever love you, God, for you. But it's only because of what you can do for them or, or the protection you can offer them or, or the blessing. I use the term sometimes fire insurance. You know, we all want fire insurance, don't we? You know what I'm talking about. Speaking eternally, we don't want to go to hell. We want fire insurance, but do we want a Lord? Do we want a Savior? Do we want a Master that way? It's a constant reminder through this book that God is pointing out, no matter how righteous we are, no matter how good we are, we need Jesus. We need God. And Job is going to understand that fully by the end of this book. Well, his friend gets there, and, and there, as I said, they look at him, and in chapter 3, he begins to tell him, I wish I was never even born. That's so much pain and torment. Never underestimate what you can say or do in a moment of crisis. Never underestimate that. The pain that Job is in, he literally wants to die. But he also understands that God is keeping him alive. And because God is keeping him alive, he can't do anything about it. He can't even do that because, you know, he can't. Certainly suicide is never an option. It's not an option. So in the will of God, he's like, Lord, you're keeping the hedge enough to protect me that I won't die, but not enough that it'll get a, you know, I want to go be with you because this is enough. And, and so he begins speaking and he goes through and he says, I wish I was still born in verse 16 in chapter three, just longing for death, longing for death, dreading everything. And again, it's a proof that there is no such thing as a faith and prosperity gospel, friends. There is suffering within the Christian walk and Christian faith. As we come to chapter 4, and that's our passage here this evening. Because Job spoke as part of that culture in the Middle East, now his friends are able to speak. 
But it was only till Job spoke first. And they were there with him seven days quietly to this point. So we're going we're gonna to bow our heads and we're going to speak to the Lord. And then we're going to go line by line. Father, uh, I just, we just come before you right now. Uh, Father, we, we, we just want to bring you ourselves. We just want to begin with, Lord, if there's anything in us tonight that we need to lay down, we just, we want that right now, Lord. We just want repentance. We want to be in right relationship with you, Lord Jesus. Father, we pray for our friends, our loved ones. We pray for those that are not walking with you right now. Pray for prodigals, Lord. God, we know that you are faithful. You're loving. And Lord, you definitely want to save. So God, I pray that you would touch hearts here tonight. Encourage those, Lord. All of us can grow weary, Lord. Job is weary. You know we can grow weary too, Lord. We don't have to pretend. Lord, here we are in the middle of Holy Week, celebrating here in a few days your resurrection and our victory over sin and death. God, I pray that uh, this evening as we look at this council, Lord, <laughs> from chapter 4 to 31, Lord, I believe, you keep going through this and allow us to go through all these. Lord, I have no doubt it is so that we do not become like one of Job's counselors, God. I'm sure of it. So, Lord, let us hear what your spirit has to say. Let us pay attention to these things. Let us never be like these men. Let us be able to be humble and say, Lord, we have no idea what you are doing. And until we hear otherwise, we won't utter a word, Lord. But we'll sit patiently and lovingly and wait on your still small voice. We love you, Jesus Christ. Have your way in us tonight. We pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. And all God's people pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Look at chapter 4 with me, please, as we begin in verse 1. Then Elahaz, the Terminite, answered. He's the first up to bat, uh, if I can say it that way. Uh, he answered and said, if one attempts a word with you, will you become weary? I mean, like, come on, how many of you are like right now thinking honestly? I, I understand we're all Christian, we're righteous, we're saved. How many of you want to give him a sock, huh? When he answers like that, like you're hurting in this moment and you, and you go up and he, and he comes up and he says, will you grow weary if I begin to effectively lecture you on what is wrong with your life? We should never do that, friends. That, that, I can't get past verse 1 without going, wait a minute. If one attempts a word with you, will you, will you become weary? Again, because the silence is broken. But who can withhold himself from speaking? Surely you have instructed a man and have you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling and you have strengthened the feeble knees. But now it comes upon you and you are weary. Please circle that in your Bibles, verse 5. What he is saying right now is you've been able to counsel and help and be invested in so many people's lives, people that are hurting and suffering, people that are just downright broken, just trying to make it through a day. And you've been able to help people like that. You've been able to point them to the Lord. You've been able to counsel them. You've been able to give them a good word. But now you find yourself in a place of need, and you are literally falling all apart. This is, but now it comes upon you and you're weary. 
Doesn't Satan beat us up that way? I don't know about you. He beats me up that way. You can help other people. You can't even help yourself. You're right, Lord. I can't. It's you, Jesus. It's always you. He gets the glory for it. Comforts me when I read passages like this. It's real. It touches you and you are troubled. It is not your reverence. What's he talking about? Your public uh, persona of righteousness. Your confidence. In other words, the way you're seen in the community. You're an upstanding man, individual. Is that now where you're putting your trust? Again, believing in those days that if you were without sin, you were a righteous man and God would honestly bless you and bless you and bless you. So the reason you had such an upright standing and people would honor you and he used the word reverence, okay? The people that would do that is because they looked upon you and said, boy, you must be the most godly man I know. He says, that's where you're putting your strength on that? It's not what Job is doing. That's not true. It's not your reverence, your confidence, and your integrity of hope was um, your ways, your hope. Remember now, so when he says that, what's he inciting? What's he saying? You're not a man of what? Yeah, you're not a man of God. You're not a man of integrity. He's saying it was all, it was all a facade. It was all an act. Remember now, even who perished being innocent, or where were the upright ever cut off? Again, this is so flawed. You know, this man here, he has, he has all the answers. We all know people like that. He has all the answers. You think he has complete understanding of God's mind. Even as I've seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same, by the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his anger they are consumed. The roaring of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The old lion perishes for of prey, and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. Who's the king of the jungle? The lion, right? We, we, you know, we, we'd say that, you know, who's the king of the jungle? The lion. What's he saying? He's saying here that even the king of the line, he can't do it if there's things that are going on in his life. Well, in animals, <laughs> if things are wrong or off. Now a word was secretly brought to me. Now he's bringing in mysticism. Mysticism. And my ear received a whisper of it. In disquieting thoughts, the visions of the night, he, he's declaring these visions are from God. When deep sleep falls on men, fear came upon me and trembling, which made all my bones shake. Then a spirit passed before my face and the hair on my body stood up. He's talking about when you get, um, I use the term chicken skin, but I know around here they call it goosebumps. The goosebumps. He's talking about goosebumps. He's saying he's having an experience with God in such a mystical way that it literally caused the hair on his um, hands, uh, you know, his face, everything to stand up that way. He begins to shake. The problem is what, friends? This is not God doing this, is it? Because we already read in Job chapter 1, why is Job in this trial? Because he said to Satan, have you seen my servant Job? 
There is no one else like him. He's a man of righteousness. He loves me. And Satan said, he doesn't love you for you. He loves you for what you can do for him. So basically, here's, a, if I could say, a courtroom trial where basically Satan is putting God on trial. And God is turning around and saying, I'll put Satan on trial. He won the first one, didn't he? Remember when he took his kids and everything else? He says, you'll, he'll curse God and die. And, and, and Job didn't, did he? Second one, he says, okay, well, man, if you flicked his own skin up to the point of death, you, you know, he'll, then he'll curse God and die. He'll say, curse God and die. And no, he didn't do that either. Even when his wife, his helpmate came out and said, why don't you just curse God and die? He says, no. You got to remember all of heaven is watching this. The fallen angels are watching this. The heavenly and the angels are watching this in heaven. This is all going on. This is public. We, we don't see it because it's the spiritual realm, but this is all the heavenly hosts are watching this. And this is all going on. And, and God's reputation here is, is, is in front of everyone at stake. And yet, this man is presuming that Job is in sin and it's iniquity in which is why this downfall or turn in this trial in his life. And the sad thing is, friends, that even happens in churches today. There are still churches, even in this area, I was going to say across the United States, I will say even in Pennsylvania in this area, that still teach that if something's wrong with you, whether you're sick or, you're, or you have a, an issue, it's got to be a sin issue without it sitting down and talking to the person. And figuring out, like, what's going on in their lives. This isn't the Lord. And what's going to be even scarier here in a moment is he's going to actually say, and I'm going to paraphrase it, thus saith the Lord. We have to be really careful of that. That's not something we should ever do lightly. Thus saith the Lord. We better be awful sure that God has confirmed it in Scripture or, or that we are hearing these things. Because he's saying the hair on my body stuff, he's describing this emotional experience, this emotionalism. It stood still, but I, I could not discern its appearance. Well, my Bible tells me that Satan can appear, appear as an angel of what? Light. A form was before my eyes. I, I'm not denying this man had, didn't have this experience. He maybe did, but there's nothing saying it wasn't a demon that's appearing as an angel of light. And he's not testing the spirits as we read in Scripture. He's just so caught up in this emotional experience. But I could not discern its appearance. A, a form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice saying, can a mortal be more righteous than God? Now, now he thinks he's getting special sort of revelation here. And again, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, 14, the devil can appear as an angel of light. He's saying it's all due to pride. Can a man be more pure than his maker? Again, he's speaking falsely. I'm just going to turn to 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. But this we know, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 
you can look back with me here. In verse 18, he says, if he puts no trust in his servants, if he, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who dwell in the house of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who is crushed before a moth, they are broken in pieces from the morning till evening. They perish forever with no one regarding. Does not their own excellence go away? They die even without wisdom. He's basically long way short. It's all pride. It's just all pride, and that's your problem, Job. <coughs> Call out now. Is there anyone who will answer you? In other words, due to your sin, he's almost saying prayer can't help. Call out now. Is there anyone who will answer you? Well, yeah, if we come repentant to the Lord, God answers us. Amen. And to which of the holy ones will you turn? For wrath kills a foolish man, and envy slays a simple one. I have seen the foolish taking root, but suddenly I cursed his dwelling place. His sons are far from safety. Again, he's describing the secret sin. and He's now, which this is heartbreaking, verse 4. He's basically going to say the loss of your children is due to your foolishness, due to your pride, and it's all because of your sin. That is the last thing that anybody should ever speak to another human being. All your children are dead because of your sin. That's what he's saying here. His, sin, his sons are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate. There is no deliverer because they hungry up, they're hungry, they eat up his harvest, taking in from the thorns in a snare that snatches their substance, for affliction does not come from the dust. In other words, affliction comes from somewhere. Nor does trouble spring up from the ground. It's got to be something you've done, Job. You're responsible for your kid's death. Yet man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. You know, the problem with this world is not the dirt or the dust. It's with man's sin. Now, friends, that, that may be true. That, that may, to some extent, that may be true. However, that's not what's going on here. And that's the other thing we need to be very careful to learn in the book of Job is that there will be comments that we read. Many of these are going to be true and some of these are going to be not true. But just because they're true doesn't mean they apply to your specific situation. And that's why it's very important to have that right relationship with God so that you do know where you stand. And you do know what is the error of the way. What is the problem? But as for me, I would see God, and to God I would commit my cause. Who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number? Confess your sins, Job. Get right with God. He gives rain on the earth and sends water on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. Hey, Job, if you just do this, God's going to bless you right now, and he'll just keep blessing you. There's that faith and prosperity gospel. He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. He catches the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the cunning comes quickly upon them. They meet with darkness in the daytime and grope at noontime as the night, but he saves the needy from the sword, from the mouth of the mighty, and from their hand, so the poor have hope, and injustice shuts her mouth. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Amen. True, right? For whom, God, whom the Lord loves, he corrects. And so now this man is beginning to give sort of some theology here, Elihe has. It's good, but what's the problem? 
That has nothing to do with his situation. It also teaches us as we're counselors, as we minister and invest into friends, we can have, the, we can have wonderful counsel, great counsel, but we can misapply it, can we? We can misapply it by reasoning in our minds, by our intellect. We have to be really careful. I, I, I have to be really careful. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of all Almighty. Let me back up. Why do I say we have to be careful? And I don't know if I'm speaking to guys or ladies or all of us in this room. Guys, do we want to fix it? Huh? Do we want to fix it, guys? We see something going on in our wives' lives and somebody else's lives and one of our kids' lives. We want to step in, we want to fix it, and we want to do it right away. And our wives tell us many times what? I need to process. Why don't you just, li I just want you to hear me. I don't necessarily need you to fix it. We say yes, and then what do we go out of the room and do? <laughs> Try to fix it. By the way, thank you ladies that spoke up just now to confirm what we thought was happening. Because we didn't know that already. <laughs> but ladies, how many times have you come to your husband or to your friend or to someone you love and you give maybe some sound advice biblically and then you feel the need to continue to do that the rest of the night <laughs> over and over again and then the next morning too and then the rest of the whole day amen. <laughs> I'm going to ignore I heard a guy say amen <laughs> especially because it's one of the elders of the church <laughs> because you do want to eat. You do want to go home. I think we need to pray for repentance right now. For he brushes or bruises, but he uh, binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. In famine, he shall redeem you from death. He, he goes on to all the blessings and from the chastening because he's presuming that Job is in sin. So he's like, Job, I'm trying to convince you what will happen if you just repent from your sin. Look at all that God's going to give you. Look at all God's going to You're going to rub the side of the lamp, and man, every one of your wishes is going to come true. That's not how it works. In famine he shall redeem you from death. In war from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the scourge of the tongue. You shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes. You shall laugh at the destruction and famine. You shall not be afraid of the beasts of the earth. For you shall have a covenant with the stones of the field. Nothing, uh, you think about it. What hinders a farmer? What's one of the few things that hinders a farmer? I was just talking to someone this week and they were sharing with me in their field next door. And um, I said, what's all the construction going on over here? He says, ah, oh, Farmer's got to get the, the rocks out, the stones out. He's like, he's tired of wrecking his equipment, you know. Here it is in verse 23, right? For you shall have a covenant with the stones of the field. In other words, you have an agreement, right? It's the one thing that's the vein of the farmer's existence. And the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. In other words, if you do all this and you repent, everything, there's not going to be a single rock in your field. And by the way, an animal isn't going to come after you or come at you in any way. Anyone who's been a Christian longer than a day can go wrong. 
You shall know that your tent is in peace. You shall visit your dwelling and you shall find nothing amiss. You shall also know that your descendants shall be many. Yeah, that's a real nice way to say sorry about your kids, Job. And your offspring like the grass of the earth. You shall come to the grave at a full age. Oh, so now what happens when people die when they're young? As a sheaf of grain ripens in its seeds, behold, this we have searched out. It is true. It's true to man's wisdom, I guess, but not God. Hear it and know yourself. What's he saying? This, thus saith the Lord. I know better. Listen to me. You got it all wrong, Job. Job responds here in chapter 6. First of all, let me just pause for a second. How does that make you feel here tonight? Put yourself in Job's situation. You are righteous. You haven't done anything wrong. As a matter of fact, you've done everything right. And God is using you. He so chose to use you as a vessel to literally in the throne room of God and say, have you seen my servant? Insert your name. There's no one else on, on, on earth like him or her. It's a beautiful honor, isn't it? It's a beautiful honor. And then, and then your friend comes up and tells you, at your, at your time where you're most in need, where you're broken and you just, you're undone. And he begins to give all of this wisdom and all this wisdom of man. And he almost says, well, he doesn't, almost he does. He says, thus saith the Lord, I know better. You don't think that's going to confuse you? That's what's going to happen to Job in chapter 6. To some extent, Job is going to get slightly confused because what's going to happen is Job is going to turn around and he's going to go, maybe it is, maybe I do have sin. He goes, I don't know what it is. Do you know there's nothing worse than that? When you are sitting and you are, are, are being condemned by someone and they're telling you there's this error and these bad, and you are literally racking your brain and you're going, I can't think what I did to cause this. Well, surely you must have done something. You, you must know why you feel this way. Well, no, if I knew, I don't need you. What do you, you know, I'm in that moment because I don't know what's going on and I need help. And, and so we have to be so careful because he's trying to help. But, but now what he actually is going to do is he's going to cause Job to come real close. Not sin, but he's going to come real close. Well, you might even say there is a slight sin. But he's going to come real close through the rest of these chapters to where it's going to cause Job to go, you know, maybe I am in sin. Maybe I, maybe I am doing something. Maybe it's not possible. Maybe, and he's going to just downward spiral. And I really believe that the Lord again gave us 31 chapters. I know there's more chapters in the book of Job, but I mean 31 chapters of this. So we, we get it ingrained in our heads, in our hearts to never be like these men. To anyone we know, whether that's your enemy <laughs> or your best friend. Because we're going to see what this does. And it grieves my heart. Then Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief were fully weighed and my calamity laid on its scales. He, he's just sharing how hard his trial is here. For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. You ever go to the beach and, and you, you know, the water comes up and it comes up and you try to lift that sand that's wet? It's heavy, you know what I mean? Like it's really heavy compared to if you just went to the beach and it was dry in that area and you lift it up, it kind of falls through your hands very easily. He's talking about, he said, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. He's listening to his friend. He's saying that his heart 
is getting absolutely, he's saying, I feel like a target of God. I feel like a target of God. And yet nothing could be farther from the truth. My spirit drinks in their poison. Oh my, it's even more. They're poisonous tarts, right? They're poisonous arrows. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. You're right, Alahaz, what you're saying. And now I'm going to spiral. Does the wild donkey bray, that, that means complain, when it has grass? Or does the ox low complain over its fodder? Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? And he's trying to say, this is, this is the cause. This is, this is what's happening, the reason for the calamity. Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? Some of you are like, yes. My soul refuses, because you had butter. My soul refuses to touch them. They are loathsome food to me. I can't eat it. He can't even eat at this point. You ever get so upset? I've had that happen in my life. You just get so upset. Whatever's going on, I just can't even eat. I don't want to eat. So I can go days without eating, and I just, I'm hungry. I'm just, just overwhelmed. I'm heavy. Have you ever had that happen in your spirit? You're just heavy. And sometimes it's not even because it's like something you've done wrong. It's because you love somebody, and you're just heavy because you're watching what's happening in their lives. It just breaks you because you, you, you just let that wall down. I mean, we're taught for such a young age, put up a wall, protect and guard your heart. Only let certain people in. Yeah, well, when you do that, you miss so much of the, yeah, you may not get hurt as much, but you miss the purity of love. I'd rather hurt and love fully than to never know what love is and have a wall guarding my heart. You know, that, that has to happen. That has to happen in a person's life. There has to be circumstances and situations that break that down. That's how it speaks to me here when I read this. This is, this is what I see. This is the problem. You can't eat. Oh, that I might have a request that God would grant me that the thing I long for, that it would please God to crush me. He's even thinking God's against him, so he's like, Lord, just take me home. Crush me, Lord that he would lose, lose his hand and cut me off. Have you ever said, and I pray none of us have, but have you ever said to somebody else, love me less? Love me less. This is real. Job's hurting. He's in a lot of pain. He's, he's just being honest. He's just being honest in his heart here. I love this. Don't you love this? It's pure. It's real. It's the human condition. It doesn't mean it's right, but it's honest and sincere. Then I would still have comfort. Though in anguish, I would exult. He will not spare, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. What strength do I have that I should hope? And what is my end that I should prolong my life? Is my strength in the strength of the stones or in the flesh of bronze, right? He's, no, he's flesh and blood. He can only take so much. 
He's now explaining to Eliahaz why he is saying things. Now, he's not defending himself, but he's giving an explanation to Eliahaz. Look, it's, it's not, yes, okay, God, I could be a target of God, Eliahaz. That's possible. But do you understand the anguish I'm in and the way I'm, I'm speaking to you was I was venting. I was sharing my hurt and my pain to you. Not so you could come back and use it against me but so that you could comfort me and have compassion. It's interesting, a lot of times when we, we need compassion, right? We come to somebody, we want compassion, we're venting, we're opening up, and sometimes you get the kapow, you know, like, I told you, and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. I'm sure we have to get there, but can I have a hug first? Can we, can we... <laughs> I just need a hug. I'm wrecked. You're wrecked. Is my help not within me and, and is success driven from me? To him who is afflicted, kindness, where's the love and compassion, should be shown by his friend. He's, he's actually advising in the midst of his pain. He is counseling Eliahaz. Eliahaz, I'm dying over here. Can you please think about what you're doing and saying you ought to really, to the afflicted, show kindness. You ought to show compassion and love. I'm looking for some support here. In the midst of his pain, he's still counseling his friend. Don't you love Job's heart? Even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty, my brothers have dealt deceitfully like a brook. Oof. Like the streams of the brooks that pass away, which are dark because of the ice into which the snow vanishes. When it is warm, that cease to flow. When it is hot, they vanish from that place. The paths of their way turn aside. They go nowhere and perish. The caravans of Tima uh, look, and the travelers of Sheba hope for them. They are disappointed because they were confident. Then they come, and there they are confused. For now you are nothing and you see terror and are afraid. What, what's he saying in those verses? He's saying um, when it begins to snow and there's snow caps, you expect as the season begins to turn that that snow is eventually going to melt. And when it melts, it's going to form water and that water is going to flow and you'll be able to come up and you'll be able to drink of that water only to find out that you finally get to that place, the place you expect it to be, and there is no water. That's what he's getting from his friends right now. He says, I, I thought you had come to me to bring me comfort and compassion. But to find you finally arrive here and you sit with me, but then you're empty. You've nothing you're giving. You're not pouring anything out into me. You're, you're empty here. He says, they're disappointed because they were, they were confident. They had come there confused. For now you are nothing. You see terror and afraid. You realize, oh man. Not, it's not getting better. It, what I thought was hope has just been taken away. You know, the reason I think he put also verse 25, uh, 21 in there, excuse me, is probably because um, not only the motives of their fr his friends there, but probably because the reason he said you're afraid is because I got to believe that probably what's going through Eli has his mind as well as the others is if this can happen to Job, it can happen to what? Me. 
So how do I distance myself away from that situation? If I put Job in a situation of sin and that's what he's doing, well, then Job deserves that. But if this can happen to a man that's righteousness and done, righteous and done no wrong, well, doesn't that strike fear in everyone that lives that way? I mean, that is a total different understanding than how the patriarchs under that cultural norm and understanding of, the, uh, of that mind at that time processed information. You mean that bad things really can happen to righteous or men walking in righteousness? Yes. And I think that that's exactly for now you are nothing. You see the terror afraid. You look at me, Job. Job is saying this to them. And you realize this could happen to you. And that's why you're distancing yourself from my situation. Did I ever say, bring something to me or offer a bribe for me from your wealth or deliver me from the enemy's hand or redeem me from the hand of the oppressors? Teach me and I will hold my tongue. He says, tell me the, the truth. Nice sermon you gave. But cause me to understand where have I erred? Where is my sin? How forceful and right words. But what does your arguing prove? Do you intend to rebuke my words? Can you, can you prove any of this? And the speeches of a desperate one, which are wind? Yes, you overwhelm the fatherless and you undermine your friend. Now, therefore, be pleased to look at me. For I never, I would never lie to your face. Yield now. Let there be no injustice. Yes, concede, my righteousness still stands. Is there injustice on my tongue? Cannot my, my taste discern the unsavory? He could tell the motive and the fear behind um, Eliaz's cause. He also could, he could discern his defensive posture. We're going to stop there tonight. You can go ahead and read on. I, uh, I encourage you. Um, Job's going to Job's going to turn around and kind of spiral down a little bit more and go back into some of the things that are going on. Uh, he's going to talk about how his skin breaks and cracks and worms are beginning to crawl in it and live in it, um, and how he feels. Yeah, I hope you're hungry. Um, and and enjoy your dinner. And um, without hope, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, friends, this is real. This is real. Um, it, is, it is so easy. It is so easy to watch someone suffer and to have almost a righteous indignation when you see their suffering. To almost presume from the outside that you actually know them because you've observed them or you've watched them. And maybe they have done a lot of stupid things. But then to presume upon that all the stupid things they've done or I've done, you know, anybody do, to then presume what they did in that situation, that's what Elihe has done. Instead of being used by God to comfort and build Job up so that he could stay the trial, he could be encouraged for the trial, he could make it through the trial. What this man did is he tore him down. He even claimed to do it in God's name. We have to be very guarded and very protective of how we use the name of the Lord. We have to be very guarded and protective of how we use the word of God. It's very easy for anyone to open the word of God and do this. 
and we call it eisegesis. It means taking scripture out of context and applying it to someone in a way as to prove a point. Only harm comes from that. When we handle the word of God, we handle it in context. It's hermeneutics. Context is king. We read through the chapter. What I do when I'm counseling, I draw people right back to the word of God, to characters in the Bible, to real men, to real women. And I generally read the whole section or I, I talk about the whole section. So there's no possibility of misunderstanding the context because even we can get misguided because of our culture and our expectations and our norms. Honestly, how many of you thought when you got saved that you would never have another hard day in your life, that everything from there out would be bliss, that the people you love and care about would never face affliction or suffering or sickness? How many of you thought that you believed that maybe at that point you arrived? The closer I draw to Jesus Christ, the more I realize my frailty, my weakness, my need for God, my need for my Lord and Savior. Because in our flesh, don't we all want to feel like we fit in or belong somewhere? And we seek so many places to find that where we feel fulfilled or content. It's all temporary. It's all going to burn. It's all fading. The gift from God is eternal. It's agape and unconditional love. When you are called upon by the Lord to counsel someone, speak in truth, speak in love, and leave the consequences to God. Don't worry about what other people are going to think of you. You be faithful to Jesus Christ. You stand in the gap. Bear one another's burdens. Here we are in the middle of Holy Week. 2,000 years ago, my Lord, my Savior, knew full well where he was headed. He was already in Jerusalem. He was coming in and out. And he's making his way. It won't be long, and he'll be in a garden. He'll be on his knees with his face to the ground, crying what would be like drops of blood. Because of his love for all of humanity, past, present, and future, for all those that were alive and all those that would come, that he would walk to Calvary, innocent, to be put on a cross and crucified, so that you and I never have to feel what that feels like. To never have the weight of the world, the sin of the world placed upon you. He did that for you. He did that for me. So that we could become the righteousness of God. There's nothing cheap about his grace. We need Jesus. In these last days, we need Jesus. Our communities need Jesus. The capital needs Jesus. Our president needs Jesus. 
please be people of prayer. It is your mighty weapon. Amen? Amen. Will you stand with me? Musicians can come forward. Please recognize uh, there are no coincidences. Resurrection Day is coming up. This Sunday we'll have communion. And many of you afterwards will go and partake with your families and have a wonderful, beautiful meal. Just remember not to be Job's counselor at the table. Please remember the timing is never, there's no such thing as coincidence. Don't be Job's counselor at the table. Truth and love. Father, I thank you for your holy word. I thank you that God, um, apart from all of us in this room, we can just behold your righteousness, Lord, on its own, pure. No matter what our circumstances are, no matter what we're going through, no matter what is happening around us, Lord, we can abstract all of that because, God, you are in heaven. Jesus, you are constantly making intercession for all of us. You love us, Lord. We love you. Lord, you've already covered our sin before we can even think about it. How good are you to us, Lord? And Lord, in the next few days, we're going to continue to celebrate your work on the cross. Lord, we'll never forget, never, ever forget, Lord, what you have done for us and for our lost and dying world. God, we pray even tonight, Hosanna, save now. We ask this all in your mighty name, Jesus Christ, our everything. We pray, amen.